Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. Episode 75 today. Yes. I guess we should start with just following up on some of the news that we were discussing in our last episode. Yes. About um, uh, the disappearance of Nicola Bully. Yeah. Sad news that they did find her in the river where she went missing. Everything points to it not being anything suspicious. It's not being treated as a crime, just a tragic accident. Yes. So as it would appear, the police got it right all along. Yeah. And I do think that they had a pretty unfair rap throughout the whole thing. I think that the police can't really do right at the moment, which some of it is absolutely warranted. But I also feel like even when they do things well, they can't do it right for people. So Yeah. They said that it was an accident that she'd probably fallen in the river and that's to all intents and purposes probably what happened and they released that information because they knew that someone else was going to be releasing that information about her to make money through the press so they burst that particular balloon by um putting it out there yeah similar to what happened with libby squire when the press were going to release something about the cctv that that garage had and the press were going to release it and the police had to move on it really quickly to say that they had the information before the press did it or before someone sold the stories um, so, yeah, a very sad story about what happened. And I think you have some other news that you've discovered recently. Yesterday, I saw that um, there's a girl in Poland who is claiming to be Madeleine McCann. And um, Madeleine McCann's parents believe that her claim is um, believable enough that they've agreed to a DNA test. So... That's interesting news. It'd be pretty Amazing. incredible if she was Madeleine McCann. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, it would be incredible if she was Madeleine McCann. We'll find out yes. either way soon enough, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah it's uh, one to keep an eye on. Mm. What would she do if she was? I don't know. Guess if she's live back with in... them? Or... <laughs> she's, to all intents and purposes, Polish now, isn't she? With... Yeah. I'd be more surprised than not if she was Madeleine McCann. Yeah. This week, Phoebe, I'm going to tell you a story from 1920s Germany. Interesting. Interesting place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And it has some interesting facets to this story, which are kind of typical of that era in that part of the world. Fritz Heinrich Angerstein was born on the 3rd of January, 1891, in Dillenburg, which was at that time part of the German Reich, and he was the seventh of ten children. It's a lot of children. Yeah. His father worked as a carpenter and later as a steel worker, and he was also at one point the mayor of Dillenburg. Nice. Young Fritz Angerstein suffered from health problems during his childhood, including regular bouts of tuberculosis. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and having a rib surgically removed. I don't know if that helped with the tuberculosis. But in 1905, at the age of just 14, he began working as a surveyor before then being employed as a procurator of a limestone mine in Heiger. I mean, 
people started young in those days, didn't they? Yeah, they they did, yeah. (laughs) Apparently so, yeah. In 1911, when he was just 20, Angerstein married Kertabart, a devout Methodist, and the marriage was described as happy, with Angerstein giving the impression of a loving and caring husband. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Despite this... Kerta was afflicted with severe hysteria and also had regular stomach complaints. His wife's illnesses mentally and physically exhausted Angerstein, who himself almost constantly suffered from various types of tuberculosis. My God. So a sickly couple, I think yes. you'd say. Both of them had their health problems. The couple had no children, although Kerta had miscarried six times. Oh, wow. That's a so lot. There were problems, I think, somewhere. Yeah. There? Fritz's relationship with his mother-in-law was said to have been strained because so, they were unable to have any children and because of the mother-in-law's poor treatment of her daughter, his wife. Okay. Angerstein said that his mother-in-law often reduced Kerta's diet to soup due to her ailments huh. although apparently she often burnt it how'd you burn soup, you burn soup? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever she cooked she wasn't very good at it and she burnt a lot of things oh. so his wife ended up not eating anything at all oh no although why he couldn't have cooked for it i don't yeah. really know but... maybe her stomach problems that she was really hungry <laughs> Could she, be. Wasn't, yeah. she wasn't eating anything yeah i mean according to his own sort of recollections Later on in his life, Angerstein says that he once whipped his mother-in-law with a dog whip out of anger oh. because Kerta had run away from home due to another burnt meal. Oh, no. <laughs> Something when you can't rely on your mum to cook you a I know. Meal, especially when you're so poorly. I know. No wonder she was upset. And around the same time, Angerstein also announced that he would shoot his mother-in-law and himself if his wife didn't return home. Oh, my goodness. But presumably she did return home because (laughs) he didn't shoot her. Oh, that's good. So just a year later, in 1921, Kerta wrote a letter to her husband telling him that due to her illnesses, she could not be the wife he needed. And after Fritz talked to her about the matter, they made a mutual decision to drown themselves since they were both regularly sick and living a miserable existence. Oh, I mean, as long as it's a mutual decision. However, when Angerstein was carrying his wife halfway into the water, they heard someone singing a song, which, according to Angerstein, brought them to their senses again, and they gave up their suicide attempt. Oh, that's good. How do you even like drown yourself in a river? Like you just know. go into the river, like. Well, get caught up in some reeds, I suppose. Yeah, that's. So exactly how accurate that account is, I don't know, but um, that, that's the story anyway. Of they didn't they die at that point. Too, so they didn't die yeah. at that point. Here we are in 1921, and in that same year, Angerstein, together with his wife. His mother-in-law, which he frequently argued with, and his sister-in-law, in other words, Kerta's sister, moved to Haiga after he received the offer of free lodging in a villa, or like a large house, belonging to his employer, a man called van der Zypen. Now, the ground floor of this large house, and there are pictures of it, which I can share. 
in the normal places. But the ground Excellent. floor of this house consisted of five offices for Angerstein and his assistants. The first floor was living accommodation for him and his wife, his sister-in-law and his mother-in-law, and the attic was used by their maidservant. His salary at the time was 390 Reichsmark per month, though Angerstein claimed that Zypen owned him about 90,000 Reichsmark. That sounds like a lot. It does seem an awful lot. I don't know why he thought he owed him that so much. Was that from work that he hadn't been paid for? It was at this sort of point, wasn't it, that the, was it slightly afterwards, but it was the Great Depression and the crash. Yeah, and it's And when people were taking, like, literally wheelbarrows worth of cash. Of, yeah, yeah. To exactly. get loads of bread and stuff like that. Yeah, well, yeah, it, um, inflation went absolutely yeah. crazy around that time. I was trying to work out how much 390 Reichmark back in 1921 would be worth today. Somehow or other, I got it down to three dollars. Oh, okay, that sounds <laughs> Which, that's probably not wrong. Three dollars a month, and I don't even know what that would have been in. I mean, it would be less than a pound, probably a yeah. month. But in nineteen twenties, would that doesn't seem enough somehow? So, I guess if he was getting like board and lodging and stuff like that, and they were just paying him, maybe. <laughs> After a few years of living in this house and carrying out this work. Angerstein got into some financial troubles and he began to embezzle money from his employer, which, according to court records, came to the total of 14,892 Reichmark. And the fraud was discovered by one of Angerstein's colleagues in November 1924. Now, this is where a lot of activity comes down to one particular weekend in November, or very late November. 1924. Yeah. So on the last Friday of November 1924, the 28th of November to be accurate, Angerstein witnessed his wife put away a notebook containing her last wishes, stating that she was expecting to die soon. Oh. The next day, Saturday the 29th of November, Angerstein met with his manager named Nix for putting together the wages for the employees, where Nix confronted him with the discrepancies in the accounting. Basically, he'd found this missing 14,892 Reichmark. On the Sunday night, November the 30th, overnight going into the Monday morning of December the 1st, Angerstein was woken up as his wife was suffering with severe chest pain. <clears throat> He wanted to call a doctor, but his wife held him back, asking him instead to fetch her mother. Kerta was in bed. Angerstein sat beside her, trying to comfort her the best that he could. And during that time, Angerstein also changed her pillowcase because she'd uh, been sick on it, basically. He then overheard his wife and her mother talking about another letter that they had received from Kerta's brother stating that he had syphilis and that the disease was going to spread to other members of the family. And okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and this basically upset him because remember they're all so sickly and the whole world seems to revolve around being ill. He then talked with his wife about this letter and remembered that once Kerta had told him that she wanted to die the same hour as he did. Okay. 
So they're all in a big house together. She's about to die. He's she's just not very been, well. She's not very well. Yeah. He's been found out for embezzling yeah. the company yeah. that he's yeah. working and living for in the same house. The mother-in-law is telling them about uh, her son, basically, who's, who's got, syphilis. got syphilis and thinks it's going to spread to other people. <laughs> so yeah. so um, I think this is pushing Angerstein over the edge. Yeah. So in that very same evening, he then decided to kill his wife and himself. When she was asleep, he went and fetched a revolver from his office on the ground floor. When he returned to the room, his wife was awake, where she grabbed his hand holding the revolver and proclaimed, His own wife, Lord, forgive him. He then fetched a hunting dagger and fatally stabbed his wife 18 times with it. Oh my goodness, it's <laughs> quite a lot. He then went back downstairs to his office and attempted to shoot himself, but the revolver failed to fire. Oh no. So he went, then went down even further into the cellar of the house looking for something to kill himself with. He found an axe, and he intended to cut off his own hand. But then he heard his mother-in-law screaming upstairs because obviously she'd just found her daughter with 18 stab runes lying in bed. Yep. Angerstein realised that their maidservant who lived in the attic, Mina Stoll, had been awoken by all of this and <laughs> was now standing there in the, in the living apartments oh, no. and had seen what had happened. She ran away up the stairs to the attic, but just before she reached the door to the attic, Angerstein caught up with her, grabbed her from behind and hit her over the head with the axe that he was still carrying. Oh my goodness. Her body was later found burnt on the floor. <gasps> Angerstein then returned to his bedroom and again attacked the body of his wife because he thought that she was might still be alive and might get up again and turned the knife on his mother-in-law. <gasps> stabbing her to death as well. Oh, my goodness. Angerstein returned to the kitchen, washed the axe and his hands, and sat down and slept for a few hours. So at the moment then, his wife, his mother-in-law, and the maidservant are dead. That's, that's three. Okay. His sister-in-law, who also lived at the property, who was actually 18, her name actually was Ella, Ella Bart. Okay. She returned during that night from a train journey that she'd been on. And she went upstairs into the apartments. Angerstein was woken by this, followed her, and killed her with the axe. Oh my goodness. Because he didn't want her being a witness to the crimes that he committed. Yeah. Then at approximately 7 o'clock that Monday morning, one of the staff at work there, a bookkeeper called Dithart, and a clerk, Kiel, arrived to work. One after the other... Angerstein called them into his study, locked the door, and killed them individually oh my goodness. with the axe. Later that morning, he also killed the son of the villa's gardener, a man called Geist, and another labourer who worked for him, a man called Dar, fearing that they may have also seen the dead bodies. My goodness, he's racking them up. Yeah, and the family dog was also later found dead in oh, no. the locked cellar. Not the family dog. Later that day, Angerstein poured petrol in his study on the ground floor 
and on the rooms on the first floor. He then, actually, before he set fire to it, he went shopping in the city buying two bars of chocolate, apparently for his dear wife. Who he'd stabbed to death. Well, who was not feeling very well, apparently. Oh. But yes, who, who he <laughs> actually stabbed to death. Who was dead. <laughs> After sunset, which had been fairly early in late November, early December, he went back home and at that point set fire to the petrol, which might have evaporated by then. But anyway, he set fire to what was in the house. It didn't really catch fire, maybe, because it had all evaporated. Yeah, <laughs> he'd left it all day before setting fire to it. Yeah, but he then stabbed himself several times, causing severe but not life-threatening wounds. Oh. He then called for help. Oh. <laughs> when help arrived, Angus Stein claimed that he had been attacked by robbers who had killed everyone in the house and left him for dead. Angus Stein told the police that he was assaulted in the house after he returned from town. Hence, I suppose that's why he went into town to buy the chocolate. Yeah. Um, and some people backed up his story, claiming to have seen somewhere between 15 and 25 bandits at various times of surrounding the house. Goodness. <laughs> Angerstone was taken to hospital in Hagar, where he was operated on. And while this was going on, panic was now spreading through the town over the imaginary bandits. <laughs> Yep. And extra policemen were sent in from nearby towns for protection, and militias were formed. <gasps> Georg Pop helped in the investigation of the murders, and the investigators raised doubts about Angerstein's story. The corpses had already gone into rigor mortis, uh, okay. and that therefore contradicted Angerstein's claims regarding when the killings had taken place. His fingerprints were found on the dagger and on the dead bodies. Oh. And there were no signs of a robbery having taken place. During interrogation by the prosecutor, Angerstein denied having committed the killings himself, but often made contradictory statements regarding the deaths. Even though he was still in hospital recovering from the surgery that he had to where he'd hurt himself, yeah. Angerstein was arrested. And after the post-mortems were carried out, he was accused of having committed the murders, and Angerstein finally confessed to his brother in the presence of a police oh, officer. No. To recap, the victims were Kerta Angerstein, his, his wife, Katerina Bart, Angerstein's mother-in-law, Mina mm. Stoll, the maid, Ella Bart, his sister-in-law, Reinhold Deithardt, who was a bookkeeper, Heinrich Kiel, who was one of the clerks that worked there, Alex Geis, Angerstein's gardener, and Rudy Dar, the gardener's assistant. My goodness. Quite Eight a lot of people. people in yeah. sort of one night and day. Whoa. So he was arrested. He was uh, put in prison while he awaited trial, and the trial started in July 1925. So bearing in mind this all happened in 1st of December 1925. 24. It was only like six or seven months later. Yeah. The trial was a media spectacle, gaining lots of publicity and coverage. And it was considered one of the great mass murderer trials of the Weimar Republic. Angerstein was charged with 13 crimes. The eight crimes of murder, two counts of embezzlement, and then counts of forgery, arson, and perjury. Wow. <laughs> Angerstein claimed he did not embezzle money and that van der Zypen had owed him the money. A total of 153 witnesses and 27 experts were called. 
Wow. Eventually, Angerstein admitted to committing bribery and later embezzlement. He did claim that he killed his mother-in-law because he was angry about her having treated his sick wife so badly. And he claimed he killed their maid because she burnt their meals, <laughs> was unclean, and because he and his wife were generally displeased with her. Oh, you'd exactly have to kill her. Well, there you go. Now, this is where it gets sort of a little bit macabre and creepy and okay. the sort of thing that you can imagine that they were doing in Germany in the sort of first okay. <laughs> half of the 20th century. The trial was controversial for allegedly being one of the rare instances in which an optogram was used against Angerstein. What's an optogram? What's an optogram? You ask. An optogram is a photograph taken of a dead person's retina. Oh, okay. Eye, which was thought to hold the last image a person uh, sees before they die. This played cool. a role in identifying. <laughs> yeah, cool. Mm. It's one of those sort of crazy experiments, isn't it? You can imagine it. Oh, we've yeah. got all this new science. Let's do weird things with it. It's, yeah. Um, this played Makes a role. Sense. Well, it would do if the retina did retain. I mean, actually, that's yeah. what I was thinking. It's called a retina, so does it retain? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I don't. I think this whole theory has been well and truly debunked. <laughs> yeah. Nevertheless, it played a role in identifying and convicting him as a murderer. According to reports from the court at the time, a professor Donner of Cologne University photographed the retinas of two of Angerstein's victims, producing one picture showing Angerstein's face and the second one of Angerstein attacking his gardener with a hatchet. No way. Now, I would love to say and hear the pictures. That yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you going to put them on Instagram? <laughs> I'm afraid I can't find them. But, um, uh, no. It, <laughs> that would be amazing. I, That's so cool. Yeah, I mean... I mean probably definitely doctored, but... <laughs> Or just not real? Yeah, it probably just not real. It's maybe interpretation. You know, it's all very blurry and blobby. And yeah, look, okay. You, you know, it's like seeing faces like those, like, in clouds or something, isn't it? Yeah, uh... like those um, optical illusion things that I could never see anything in a blog. <laughs> well, I don't know. That one's got like zebras in it. <laughs> well, yeah. And you could say is the use of science to do this, which has since been debunked, any better than or or any worse than the lie detectors that they use regularly yeah. in america because that's just sort of yeah they are of, inadmissible in court they are they are inadmissible <laughs> yeah and they use more of a sort of a tactic aren't they I think, yeah so maybe that's the same same here yeah. that mm. we're going to take a picture of one of the people you or a couple of the people you murdered to see what the last thing was they saw it's an interesting theory but it is yeah i wonder i oh, know it's probably not it's probably been disproved by now. Oh, I think so. Yeah. It's interesting that they actually um, even thought about using something like that. Yeah. So even though there were something like 153 witnesses, 27 experts, various bits of evidence like we've just been talking about, the yeah. trial only lasted six days. Well, they must have whittled through those uh, witnesses. Must, <laughs> must have done. Yeah. And Angerstein was handed a total of eight death sentences, one wow. for each of the eight murders. And he was deprived of all civil rights for the rest of his life. Oh. The other charges, so the embezzlement and the perjury and the other things, uh, were dismissed. 
Angus Nairn accepted the verdict, stating that he did not want mercy and that his deed could only be atoned for with his blood. And on November 17th, 1925, at 8am, Stein was executed by decapitation by axe wow. by executioner Karl Gropler in the courtyard of the central prison Friandais in Dice and Delan. So there you go. Wow. That's the story. That's how much of it story. is, <laughs> how much of that is embroidered, particularly in the sort of the build up to it or not. I don't know. I have no reason to doubt that the actual murders themselves actually happened and the fact that he was executed. There is a picture of him oh, lying cool. in a hospital bed, <laughs> um, presumably when he was recovering from his self-inflicted wounds uh, yes. around the time of his arrest. There's a picture of the house, but other than that, there aren't that many pictures. Mm. Not photos of his victim's eyes. No, sadly. As ever, if you've been interested or intrigued by that story, just Google Fritz Angerstein and you'll find plenty about him. It's one of these things that if once you know about it, you'll find loads yeah. about him and his murders. But uh, if you've never That's heard so of him, then you wouldn't have found it. Thank you very much. That's the a... use of the optogram is... The... Yeah, that's so cool. And just the fact that he killed eight people in one night, yeah. sort of seemingly for no reason. I think he was a man on the edge who yeah. had been he was very on... poorly, was in difficult situation, difficult relationships with the people around him. He just snapped. Yeah, yeah. And killed eight people, which is uh, quite a big snap. There you are. Thank you very much. So you'll, you'll share some photos? I will. The few I've got I will put on Instagram. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. On Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. It's always good to hear from you. Please drop us a line. Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. Thank you very much for that story. You're very welcome, Phoebe. Join us next time when once again, Dad and Daughter Do Death.